Why can't you iron a four-leaf clover? Because you don't want to press your luck. <laughs> you can now use that joke for the next 10 days, all the way up until St. Patty's Day. You're welcome. To be honest, you probably thought the title of this episode was the joke, but no, that title is true. We'll be discussing that soon. But first, let me introduce myself. My name is Kaylin Chenoweth, and I am the host of this podcast, Starting Sustainability. And this is episode 115, where we will be talking about lab-grown meat, the future of protein. Mmm. <laughs> Before we dive into that, I would like to catch you up on what I've been up to the last couple of weeks. Two weekends ago, we were over at our friend's house, hanging out and letting the kids basically wear each other out. <laughs> and my friend Zach asked if he could be a guest on the podcast. To answer him and everyone out there, I absolutely love having guests on my show, especially listeners. If you have a subject you want to talk about that relates to sustainability, pitch your idea. Send me an email, which is kaylin, K-A-Y-L-I-N, at startingsustainability.com, or you can send me a personal message from the Facebook group. The Facebook group is called Starting Sustainability. I tried to be really clever with all the naming of things. <laughs> really, I just tried to make it easy for everybody to remember. <laughs> also, last weekend, I made my first purchase using the Flash Food app. I talked about this app ooh, a while ago. I'm gonna guess two, maybe, yeah, about two months ago. A member of the Starting Sustainability Facebook group shared it, and that's how I learned about it, and I immediately downloaded the app and had it on my phone and found out that the grocery store that is right beside my house participated with the Flash Food app, which is excellent. That grocery store near me is called Meyer, so anybody who's in the Midwest region would have Meyers near them. It seems to look like most Meyers are participating in it, which is great. And since then, I would check the app about once a week. So I've been doing that for about two months now. <laughs> and it's kind of hit or miss. And it's definitely a lot of things that are about to go bad. And this past weekend, I went grocery shopping. And while I was in there, I was looking at my list of all the vegetables. I needed tomatoes. I needed bell peppers. I needed onions. I needed cucumbers. And then it dawned on me. I was like, oh, I haven't checked the app this week. Let me pull it up and check. So I'm literally standing there in the produce section of the grocery store. And I pull up the app on my phone and I look. And lo and behold, they have a $5 vegetable box and a $5 fruit box. And it's all of the produce that was already on my list. And we were planning on eating it like that day, <laughs> literally that weekend. So I was like, this is perfect. I went ahead and bought both the fruit and the veggie box. So it was $10 total. And then I moseyed my way on over to customer service and said, hey, I just used this app for the very first time. Where do I go to pick up my fruits and vegetables? And they said, right there behind you. So <laughs> there, that was really, really lucky. It was literally this big cooler right behind me. It just opened up and there were the boxes. So I could even, before purchasing, which I now know for next time, I can go and open up the coolers and look at the boxes and pick out which one I want before I buy it. Because they're numbered. So I bought like box number 62 and box number 78. So there were other fruits and vegetable boxes there, but they didn't have the produce that I was looking for specifically. So I'm just telling you this, that way if you do participate in the Flash Food app and you buy stuff, you can actually go and look in advance before you make the purchase. So you just go to the grocery store like you normally would and now you can 
search that app and grab the stuff that you need on discount last minute and make your purchase knowing that you saved money and prevented food waste as well. Did I get more than what I needed? Absolutely. (laughs) I got way more than what I needed, but that's perfectly fine. For the vegetables, I just cut them up and froze them. I think I got nine bell peppers and I only needed two. So I just cut them up and froze the extras. Now they are ready to go the next time that I need them for fajitas or a soup or whatever it is that I'm making. And the fruit box that I picked luckily was a lot of apples and those will last quite some time in my fridge. And I got four pears too. One of them had to absolutely be eaten that day. It had just a couple of brown little bad spots. So I just cut those out with a knife. It was really tiny, just barely visible. Just cut those out with a knife, ate the rest. Oh my gosh. That was the perfect pear for eating. I like my fruit sweet. I like my pears soft and juicy and it was divine. It just had to be eaten that day. That was really the only catch. Normally when you go to the grocery store, you buy pears and they are rock hard. And now you have to put them out in the windowsill or brown paper bag or whatever, and you're waiting for them to finish ripening up and softening up so that way you can finally eat them like a week later. But now, I la- <laughs> that's one of the perks about this Flash Food app is that the stuff has to be eaten that day. You don't have to sit here and play the waiting game for three, four days for your produce to ripen up. I get to eat it that day and it's delicious. I understand I am ridiculously excited about this. You have to understand that saving money and eating fruits and veggies are two passions of mine. And when I can combine them together, it brings me great joy. And that makes me a frugal dietitian. In order to maintain my dietetics license, I have to attend conferences that keep me up to date. This past fall, I attended an online conference called Fency. I'm stating that because I know other dietitians listen to this podcast and probably attended as well. Hopefully, they were able to watch the same session that I'm going to use for today's main topic that talked about lab-grown meat, which is also known as cultured meat. The educational session I attended was hosted by two individuals who are doing a lot of work in this area. The first who presented was Jack Bobo, who is the CEO of Futurity. And I'm telling all this because a lot of this information came from him and he deserves the credit for all of his work. When you first heard about lab-grown meat, what was your first reaction? It most likely wasn't really that pleasant, maybe some curiosity, or even just asking yourself out loud, why? Why would anybody pursue that? Well, there are two main drivers for this, animal welfare and sustainability. I don't think we really need to elaborate too much on animal welfare reasons. It's pretty self-explanatory, but for the gist of it, basically we're going to be reducing animal abuse, factory farming, and oh, not murdering animals. (laughs) But the other part is sustainability. This is the impact of agriculture on land, water, and climate. In terms of land, 40 to 50% of all land on earth is currently devoted to agriculture. The amount of crop land for the whole earth is the size of South America. And the amount of pasture land for the entire earth is the size of Africa. If you haven't looked at a globe recently, Africa is significantly larger than South America. It's also important to point out in terms of water, 70% of fresh water is used for agriculture. We're already aware that fresh water is reducing especially with the growing population needs. But of the small amount of fresh water available on the earth, 70% of that 
is going to agriculture. There are places like the Aral Sea, A-R-A-L, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I'm going to say Aral. But freshwater sources like the Aral Sea and Colorado River have shrunk significantly. Fresh water will be a problem in the future. And the last thing to consider is climate change. 10 to 15% of greenhouse gases are coming from the agriculture sector. And another 10 to 15% of greenhouse gases are coming from deforestation. Why are we deforesting? That means we're literally chopping down the forest because we need to make room for more pasture land to raise farm factory animals. 80% of deforestation is caused by agriculture. Combining those two facts together means that 20 to 30% of greenhouse gases is completely agriculture related. That's almost as much as energy. I'm sure many of you are aware by now, but if you're not, I will point out there's a lot of talk in the air about energy policy, what we can do to reduce energy, save on energy, reduce the consumption of energy, be more efficient in producing energy. But there's not much talk about agriculture, and we really need to focus on eating our way to a cleaner environment. We must also think about future population growth. In 2020, there were 7.8 billion people on Earth, and that is going to grow to 9.5 billion by 2050, only 30 years later. Currently, there are 800 million people going to bed hungry tonight and every night. We cannot feed the population that we have. We will have 2 billion more in the next 30 years, and we're going to need to be able to feed them in a sustainable way. Bill Gates, I hope you know who Bill Gates is. <laughs> He's a prominent billionaire who is very invested on focusing on the Earth's sustainability and our future. He predicts we will all be eating synthetic meat by the end of 2030, at least in the developed world. 2030, that's only eight years away. We're going to be eating this synthetic meat. That's crazy. There is a huge increase in demand. According to the FAO, which is Food Agriculture Organization, we will need 50 to 60% more food by 2050. And that includes demand for meat protein. Because of the increase in pressure to produce more food, we are relying on new and innovative ways. And one of those ways is cell-cultured meat, a.k.a. lab-grown meat, a.k.a. cultivated meat. The other person who presented in this lecture was Anna Dilger, who has a PhD and is an associate professor of meat science and muscle biology at the University of Illinois. Meat science and muscle biology. I didn't even know that you could study that, nonetheless become a professor of that. But that's kind of insane, crazy, but clearly needed at the same time. She went on to explain what techniques will be used to make these products. It's actually a very complex process, so I'm going to do my best to just kind of give you the gist of it. First is to establish cell line development. Most are muscle cells, some are adipose, also known as fat cells, because that is what makes up meat. Scientists will pick and screen cell lines that can be grown well outside of animals. Once that's figured out, the next step is cell cultivation. Scientists will get cells to grow by using bioreactors. 
What the heck is a bioreactor? A bioreactor is similar to what you see at a local microbrewery. It's a tank-like structure that cells grow inside of, but we'll need much larger ones than what you're used to seeing because we're going to need to make thousands of liters worth. So these will be very, very large bioreactors. The next step is tissue structuring. There are new technologies being developed in tissue structuring. It's basically like a 3D printing of cells to make complex tissues. The hope from there is that eventually the technology will evolve to cultivating tissues and not just the cells. The goal is to make products that mimic steaks and roasts. Those are very complex tissues with more than one cell type. And the goal is to create tissues with multiple cell types. There are still many technical challenges before we get to meat products on our plates. Not only do we have to select suitable cell lines, but then we have to figure out nutritional content, palatability, is it going to taste good, and manufacturing traits, is this really going to grow and perform the way that we want it to? It is going to be quite pricey to manufacture this lab-grown meat because the cost of the media components and the bioreactor operation are going to be quite high. The next hurdle is going large scale because what works in a culture dish or a few liters does not always translate to thousands of liters. For example, anybody who's ever worked in a kitchen, you might be able to make your mom's famous dessert or whatever at home for your family of four. But then when you take it large scale and try to produce it for 100 people and you go to a commercial kitchen, it doesn't turn out the same. You know, I can make a peach cobbler for a family of four, but then when I try to make it for 100 people, I gotta have a bigger oven. The temperature is gonna be different. The time is gonna be different. The pans, I'm gonna have to do multiple pans. There's a lot more that you have to consider in the process in order to get the same product. There's a lot of changes and manipulations to the process and the recipe in order for it to taste and have a similar texture to what it was when it was a smaller version for four people. In the future, we're going to need tons of meats, not just a few ounces or pounds. We're feeding an additional two billion people here. The last thing to figure out is what we're going to do with all of the waste because growing meat in a large scale, there is going to be waste. There will be byproducts and other things that are going to enter into the waste stream. And how do we minimize that? That's what we're doing here. We're trying to be as sustainable as possible. So we want to try to be as zero waste as much as possible and figure out what to do. Are we going to be able to recycle it or reuse it at some point? What can you expect as a consumer? What type of products are we going to be seeing? There is a three-phase plan of release to the general market. Obviously, phase one is going to be much sooner, and phase three will be much later. So phase one, coming soon, will be cultivated cells used as an ingredient in a food item with plant origin, basically like a veggie burger with added animal cells. And these cells would provide nutrients or flavor to the overall product. Phase two products would be composed of entirely cultivated cells, likely to mimic ground meat or formed products like a hamburger, sausages, or nuggets. Phase three, which is going to be much later because it's the hardest one to figure out, would be products made with cultivated tissues of multiple cell types. That would be the muscle cells and the adipose or the fat cells all together. 
these products would be mimicking steaks, chops, roasts, or other quote-unquote whole muscle type products. Who is going to regulate these products to make sure that they are safe? Both the FDA and USDA, who regularly inspect all of our food and food products, both agencies formalized a memorandum in 2019 to regulate these products coming to market. And what does this mean for you? These products are not available right now, but when they do come to market, they will be safe. What should you, as the consumer, listen for in the future? Seafood companies who invest in this technology will be calling it cell cultured meat. So when you go to buy their food products, look on the package and look for cell cultured meat. And then you'll know this product was cultured in cellular form. For both beef and poultry products, look for the term cultivated meat. And you might be thinking, Kaylin, cell cultured meat and cultivated meat are not sounding all like lab-grown meat. It is all still the same thing, but it's only called lab-grown meat while it's in the research stage. And this will eventually be transferred to a factory. And let's be honest, lab-grown meat does not have an appetizing appeal to it at all. (laughs) That'd be a marketer's nightmare trying to sell that to the common consumer. It is important to note that when this product does appear on the shelves, it will be clearly labeled to let the public know it was created in a different way than from live animals. It is predicted that these products are going to follow a very similar path of the Impossible Burger. I'm sure most of you have heard of the Impossible Burger by now. What you may not realize is that burger did not start off at fast food chains and grocery stores. The Impossible Burger showed up in high-end restaurants, real flashy, new, pricey luxury item. And then it worked its way through the markets and eventually got to the grocery store shelves. And that's what we anticipate with the cultivated and cultured meat, or the lab-grown meat as well. As a dietitian, I'm concerned about the nutritional content, and the hope is to have these products mimic the nutrition profile of meat items but there is an exciting possibility of manipulating the cholesterol levels or fortifying it with vitamins and minerals. So basically improving on the nutritional levels, which is awesome. And the last main question to really ponder is if you are a vegan, will you accept this? Majority of people become vegan to fight animal abuse, climate change, or health concerns. No animals died. This is saving the planet by reducing resources wasted on live animals, and we'll be able to manipulate the nutritional concerns, like removing cholesterol and adding in vitamins and minerals. Overall, this is a pretty cool and fascinating topic, and a lot of really cool products will be coming our way. I know this topic is going to spark a lot of interesting conversation, please head on over to the Facebook group, Starting Sustainability, and share your thoughts, opinions, ideas, and and any questions you might have. This is a lot of new technology and a lot of information coming at you, but it's going to end up being the way of the future. And I'd really like to hear your input and feedback on it. It is now time for the weekly challenge, and I will draw my card, or I guess bi-weekly challenge. It says to... Stick to the empties rule. Only buy replacement or substitute product once you've entirely used up the previous one. 
Nobody needs five different moisturizers or three cans of the same deodorant. <laughs> I'm laughing because I've definitely been that person in the past and I know a lot of people who do it now, but you're right. You don't need that many items. <laughs> That is a pretty easy weekly challenge. You can do that. I know it gets kind of frustrating when there's a little bit left at the bottom and you got to turn it over and shake it 500 times trying to get it to fall <laughs> to the part where you can squeeze it out. Just store your bottle upside down. Or I went around the house and found like seven or eight bottles of lotion that were almost empty and just flipped them all upside down, let them stand there for quite some time, <laughs> basically until gravity made it all come down to where the top was now that the top was flipped over to the bottom. And then I just used a spoon or popsicle stick and condensed them all into one container. I think I had a glass jar that I used that I could then just dip my fingers in and use that to use up the lotion. And I know Tori shared once before that she had a bunch of chapstick that was almost empty and she ran around and collected all of her tubes of chapstick and basically melted the chapstick wax and then poured them all into one tiny little jar container that she can now put her finger in and use that on her lips. So there's your challenge. Stick to the empties. You can do it. For the next episode, which will be March 21st, I have a special guest named Anna De Simone who wrote a book called Live in a Home That Pays You Back. Oh yeah, I get to make my house more sustainable save the environment and I'm going to make money off of it? That's right. So be sure to tune in on March 21st and catch that interview. Until then, continue to stay warm in this cold weather. Actually, it's March now. Many of you might be going on spring break. So enjoy your travels. Obviously, try to do them as sustainably as possible. But do have a blast. Have a wonderful time wherever you may be going. And I will talk to you all again on March 21st. Have a great one. Bye. There are so many wonderful people doing amazing things around the globe. If you want to hear more about what we're doing down under, jump on over to Unbook Your Shopping Cart, a podcast who speaks to companies who have the eco thing down pat with some simple tips and hints on how you or your workplace can make small changes that can add up to a whole lot. Together, we can start a movement and make this planet a whole lot greener.